Yes, so today we're continuing on in the book of John. And if you follow, want to follow it in the few, few Bibles, it's um, page 1542, 1542. John chapter 18, verses 28 until chapter 19, verse 16. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the place of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, he would not have been handed over to you. Pilate said, take him yourself and judge him by your own laws. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. They took, they took place, this took place to fulfil that Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would, have, would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king? In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against this man, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king? Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him, give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had been taken part in an uprising. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The other soldiers twisted a, a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, hail king of the Jews. They slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and the officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. 
As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders instead uh, insisted, we have a law and according to that law, he must die because he claims to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realise I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar's. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat him on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which is Aramaic, is Gabbatha. It was the day of the preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is the king. Please, Pilate said to the Jews, but they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Here ends the reading. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks very much, Lynn. Morning, all. Well, what is truth? I was to wander the streets of Penrith today and ask people to answer that. What do you think they would say? Maybe they'd query the truth of the time. Depends. Um, but yeah, what would they say? What is truth? Now, if you asked your making Christ known people, what would they say to the question, what is truth? If I asked you right now, what would you say? It's such a loaded question, isn't it? What is truth? And there's so much writing on it. Because what is true changes everything. And the lack of truth changes everything too. Well, we're reaching the pointy end of John's Gospel. And at the pointy end, the truth that we increasingly see is the truth about Jesus. And the truth about Jesus helps us to see the truth about everything. Uh, In this passage, the truth about Jesus shows us more clearly the truth about two things in particular. First, it shows us the truth about authority and power. We see it in Pilate, see it in the Jewish leaders, and we see it in Jesus. And that's what this passage helps us to see, the truth about power and authority. And second, we see the truth about guilt and innocence. Because those who appear guilty are not, and those appear innocent who appear innocent are not either. So those are the two truths that we'll look at in our passage today. Truth about power and authority, truth about guilt and innocence. We'll start with the truth about power and authority. Uh, The first picture of authority and power that we see in this passage uh, comes as we meet the Roman governor, Pilate. After the overnight trial, John 
tells us that the Jewish leaders have led Jesus to the temporary headquarters of Pilate. Uh, Pilate's visit to Jerusalem isn't for a celebration. No, he's here because this was a tense time for Roman rule over the Jews. Um, Can you remember what Passover was celebrating? Passover was a Jewish celebration of God's deliverance of his people from their Egyptian oppressors. And so Pilate's here to make sure that nationalistic fervor doesn't get out of hand. He's here to make sure that Jewish history doesn't repeat itself under his watch with the overthrow of Roman rule. And knowing that Pilate's in town, the Jewish leaders have brought Jesus to see him. Why? Well, because he's the one who dishes out death sentences. Um, They want Pilate to rubber stamp their religious trial that we were looking at last week. And they want him to give the order for Jesus to be killed. But that's not what happens, is it? Instead of rubber stamping, Pilate pokes the bear. Um, He asks the Jewish leaders to make their case against Jesus from scratch. Look at it with me from verse 29. Verse 29. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? Now, this is, this is classic Pilate. He's flexing his power and authority against the Jews. Uh, he, he presents the whole way through this passage as someone who is who's in charge. In public, that's how he shows himself. He's in charge. He's in a palace. He comes out to address the plebs. He has command of soldiers. He's the one making the judgments. Pilate is in authority and he knows it and he wants the Jews to know it and he wants Jesus to know it. A bit later on, chapter 19, verse 10, Pilate says this to Jesus, don't you realise I have power either to free you or to crucify you? That's power. But as the passage builds to its climax, we find out the truth about Pilate. He's not really in control Because the whole point of power and authority is to do what you want. And John tells us repeatedly what Pilate wanted to happen. He wanted to set Jesus free, but he couldn't. And the whole passage then plays out as Pilate's attempts to get Jesus released. He goes inside the palace to talk with Jesus to try and find out what's going on here. And then he pops out of the palace with a new plan to try and get Jesus off the hook the more he discovers about him. And in his most elaborate attempt, Pilate tries to satisfy the Jews to get Jesus off the hook by making him suffer. Um, Chapter 19 starts with Jesus being flogged, Uh, not full-on near-death flogging, just enough to make a point for his audience. Then Pilate has Jesus dressed up as a miserable king with a funny robe, with a crown made of thorns. And then the soldiers continue to add injury to insult by slapping Jesus and saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And then Pilate comes out of his palace like a director. He pokes his head through the stage curtain before a show. Costume and makeup are done, his star is ready, and Pilate says to the Jews in verse 4, chapter 19, verse 4, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. And then the curtain opens and Jesus comes out wearing this crown of thorns and purple robe, his body battered, his face bruised, and Pilate says, Behold the man. 
And this is just another attempt to set Jesus free. He's appealing for a compromise. Jesus had suffered at the hands of the power and authority of Rome. It's clear that he's not a king. He has no claim to be king of the Jews. Who would want that as their king? Is this humiliation enough? Can we let him go? But as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw Jesus, beheld the man, they shout, crucify, crucify. They won't accept Pilate's authority unless he uses it to give them what they want. And it's at this point, after all these attempts, that Pilate's power and authority is exposed. He wants to set Jesus free, but he can't. He's full of fear. He's afraid when he hears Jesus could be the son of God, a person with some divine connection. He's most of all afraid of Tiberius Caesar. The Jewish leaders tap into this fear where they say in 19 verse 12, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. So it's out of this fear that Pilate caves in and hands Jesus over to be crucified. His authority is walked all over by the wily Jewish leaders. Okay, that's Pilate. No power and authority there. What about the Jewish leaders? They get their way. So are they the powerful ones in this picture? Well, from the passage, we might think so. But John is careful that we see the truth about the Jewish leaders, about their power. They come to Pilate expecting the rubber stamp of their own ruling. But Pilate repeatedly, embarrassingly exposes their lack of authority. In chapter 18, verse 31, Pilate says this to the Jewish leaders, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. In other words, if you have a case against Jesus, you deal with him. But they can't. The Jewish leader's objection in verse 31 reminds us what's going on here. We have no right to execute anyone. They must get Rome's say-so to give out the death penalty. And through the trial, Pilate takes every opportunity to make fun of their Jewish powerlessness, their inability to do what they want to Jesus. Even as Pilate hands Jesus over, he wants to put the Jewish leaders in their place one more time. Uh, When Pilate presented Jesus to them the first time, he said, Behold the man. But look what he says the second time, right at the end, chapter 19, verse 14. Pilate says, behold your king. Pointing to Jesus, he he says that this beaten and humiliated man is the only self-appointed king you Jews are ever going to have. Now, Pilate doesn't get his own way this day, but even as he gives up, he wants the Jews to know where they stand. They are powerless powerless compared to Rome. And this exposure of Jewish powerlessness doesn't just come from Pilate, though. The Jewish leaders also bring it on themselves. They give up the power that they have to get what they want. Um, Chapter 19, verse 15, just the next verse along, Pilate asks, shall I crucify your king? And hear this answer from the chief priests. We have no king but Caesar. Can you imagine that statement? It would be like the Ukraine leader Zelensky saying, we have no president but Putin. Don't say that. 
In order to get what they want, the Jewish leaders are effectively saying, we have no national identity. We're giving it up. We don't look to Yahweh as our king. We have no hope of God's chosen king. He's not coming. No, Caesar is our king. It's an unbelievable thing to say. And with that statement, the truth about the Jewish leaders is revealed. The only power they have comes through total surrender to Rome. So that's the Jewish leaders. Powerless. But if power and authority is doing what you want, making your will become reality, then there is another contender in this passage, and it's Jesus. While Jesus appears passive, he makes his power and authority clear right through this passage. Um, in 18, chapter 18, verse 33, Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And now Jesus doesn't incriminate himself as a political revolutionary, but the answer is yes. A couple of verses on, 18, verse 36, Jesus says to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. In other words, Jesus is king of a kingdom that is not here, not of this world. His power and authority aren't given by humanity, by human governments or structures. No, Jesus' power comes from outside the world, the place that Jesus came into the world from. In chapter 19, verse 9, Pilate follows up on this, asking Jesus, well, where do you come from? And again, Jesus won't incriminate himself, but in verse 11, he answers very clearly, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. So Pilate asked, where are you from? The answer, from above. Where is the source of your authority? From above. Where is your kingdom? It's above. Jesus makes clear that the true source of all authority is from God. And that's where he's from. And that's where he's king. And it puts into perspective everything that's happening here. As Pilate and the chief priests seek to get what they want, ultimately it is Jesus who rules. And as a ruler, Jesus shows his power and authority through his words. What he says happens. Three times through his ministry, Jesus spoke about the kind of death that he was going to die. He would be lifted up. Now, for example, John 3.14, Jesus said, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Those are Jesus' words. This is the way that Jesus predicted his death throughout his ministry as a death where he would be lifted up. In other words, crucifixion by the Romans. And this is what we see happening. The Jews insist on handing Jesus over to the Romans so he can be killed this way. And to make it even more clear, uh, look at me at what John writes uh, in chapter 18, verse 32. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. There is no doubt that Jesus is the one with authority here. He predicted his death. He predicted the specific way he would die. And Pilate and all the others, they're just fulfilling his word. That's the truth about power and authority that we see in this passage. 
Jesus looks like the victim, being pushed here and there, being punished and paraded, but it's him who is in control. He's no pleb being dictated to by the powerful. No, he's the powerful one. He's the one with authority. And his authority and power wasn't temporary. It wasn't limited to that time or to that situation. Around the world today, in our church right now, Jesus' power and authority is seen. Uh, In chapter 18, verse 37, Jesus says, "Um, In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What Jesus describes here could easily be the definition of a Christian. Because there's something distinctive about us and about all who belong to Jesus, all who are part of his kingdom. Everyone who belongs to his kingdom, the kingdom of truth, listens to him, listens to what he says and does it. We recognize the authority that Jesus has over us. We recognize him as the source of truth. And we listen to him so we can live out the truth that he's made clear. And as Jesus says, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. I think we're meant to hear that as an invitation because the whole of John's gospel shows the truth about Jesus, that Jesus is king, that he's the authority. And so the question is, well, will we listen to him? Not listening to him like a talkback radio station, listening to him as the rightful ruler of our lives. If I've received the truth about Jesus, if I truly see him as king, then you'll know it by how I listen to him, by how I live out what he has to say. If we don't see these things in our lives or in each other's lives, then it's important for us not to ignore it because the truth about Jesus is never theoretical. It's always practical. So we need to keep listening to him and seeking to do what he says as we see and know the truth about his power and authority. The second truth that we come to see in this passage is the truth about innocence and guilt. Uh, This trial gives us a glimpse of the Roman legal system. It's a system that was known throughout the world as being just and fair. And all the decisions that were handed down uh, were seen not just as an opinion, but as an expression of the justice of the emperor of Rome. That's the system that Jesus tried under as he has his day in court. And that system, the venerable legal system of Rome, finds him innocent. I'm right at the start in chapter 18, verse 29, Pilate asked the Jewish leaders to make their case. What charges are you bringing against this man? And the prosecution replies, if he were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Uh, Now, my recent legal experience doesn't go much further than watching a few good men. But even I know that bringing someone into a courtroom doesn't make them guilty. But that's the chief priest's argument because those accusing him haven't made it clear that he's done anything wrong. Pilate has to ask Jesus, what is it you've done? Then based on the evidence, Pilate gives his verdict. Three times he says, I find no basis for a charge against him. And yet after being found innocent by the court, declared innocent three times. This is how the passage ends. Chapter 19, verse 16. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. 
So I find no basis for a charge against him. Pilate handed him over to be crucified. Even in a famously just and fair Roman court, there is no justice here. The truth is, Jesus is innocent. But what about everyone else around him? Well, the chief priests are guilty. They intentionally pervert justice. They manipulate a Roman judge to get their man. And that's the truth that's been coming into focus throughout John's gospel, the guilt of the Jewish leaders. Um, They are just guilty in this trial. While they accuse and condemn Jesus based on his claims, Jesus has shown that they are guilty, more guilty in their claims about themselves. They aren't true shepherds of God's people. They aren't true servants of their God. They aren't true children of their ancestors. These are things that Jesus highlighted about them through his ministry. The chief priests had immense God-given privileges. They're Jews, part of Israel, part of God's chosen people. And they're priests mediating between God and his people. And their role and relationship with God's law stretches back centuries to Moses and Aaron. They have immense privileges. And because of their immense God-given privileges, it's their responsibility to respond on behalf of the nation to God's king. But they lead God's people away from the truth, away from the truth about God's king. And they send God's king to his death by way of the Romans. Because of all this, they are guilty. But the Jewish leaders, they're not the only guilty ones. There's a sense that everyone but Jesus is on trial as he stands before Pilate here in this passage. Everyone else but him is on trial. Uh, There's Pilate himself and his soldiers mistreating and condemning Jesus, even though they knew he was innocent. Uh, there's, There's the 12 disciples, including Peter's terrible betrayal last week, even though they knew who Jesus was. And there's us, people who God has made himself known to through creation, one who he sent his son into the world to save us because of the way that we've treated him. And this is why the truth about Jesus' innocent matters so much. It matters so much to, to people who know they're guilty. Three times in our passage, John reminds us it's Passover time. And like every other sacrifice, the Passover lamb had to be without blemish, had to be perfect. And this is because of the logic of sacrifice. It's very simple. It's a swap. The guilt of one is swapped for the innocence of the other. Uh, The death of one is swapped for the life of the other. The punishment of one is swapped for the freedom of the other. That's what the chief priest would have been overseeing year after year. And it was the prophecy of the high priest Caiaphas that reminds us of the swap that is happening with Jesus in this part of John's gospel. In John chapter 18, verse 14, we read, Caiaphas was the one who would advise the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. And this is what we're seeing. One innocent man dying for a guilty world, taking on the world's guilt for our treatment of God, taking on the punishment that the world deserves for how we've treated God, how we've treated his king. And the picture that we're given of this in this passage, in this trial, is Barabbas. He's a convicted criminal, 
guilty as they come, involved in an uprising, an anti-Roman revolt. But at the end of verse 40, it's the innocent man, Jesus, being flogged. And it's the guilty man, Barabbas, going free. This is the swap that Jesus offers us. Jesus offers to swap with us because this is the kind of king he is. He came into the world to testify to the truth, to exercise his authority in a unique way, to substitute his life for anyone who will believe in him. Jesus goes to the cross to deal with the guilt and punishment from God that we deserve, to make those who trust in him innocent before God, to bring us into his heavenly kingdom as his saved people. Now, what a joy it is that we get to remember and celebrate this over this Easter season, over this this week. Hope you'll join us for that. In Jesus' trial, we've been looking for truth. Pilate has asked the question, what is truth? And Jesus has said, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. And despite the weakness of Pilate, the pressure of the chief priest, the truth that Jesus has testified here is the truth about who he is and what he's come to do, that he is the king of God's kingdom and he has come to save his people. And this truth about Jesus helps us to see the truth about everything, the truth about authority and power, the truth about guilt and innocence. And it helps us to see that we continue to live in a world that remains guilty before God, It reminds us that those we interact with day after day are people who don't know Jesus, who don't know him as the innocent one who gave his life to save them and who could easily go through life never hearing Jesus' words, never considering his power and authority as king. As we finish up today, as we prepare for Easter next week, I want to ask you, I want to ask myself, how could others come to know the truth about Jesus? through me? How could we show them that we live with him as our king? How could each of us demonstrate in real ways that he's the one who calls the shots in every aspect of our lives? How could we show them our love for Jesus, our never-ending gratitude to Jesus for what he's done for us? I hope you'll join me in prayerful excitement as we seek to make the truth of Jesus Christ known this week. Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that through Jesus' death and resurrection, you have rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Thank you that you brought us into the kingdom of your Son. Please work in us by your Spirit as we hear your word read, taught, and as we encourage each other with it. Please grow us in our knowledge of your will so that we think act and speak in a way that pleases and honours you, please give us the conviction and courage to make Christ known. In Jesus' name, amen.